Hello, I'm Aaron. And I'm Julia. And welcome to the first episode of How to PhD, the show dedicated to giving you practical advice for PhD success. In this first episode, we're going to be covering that first day, those very first steps in the doctoral journey and the key things that you need to get off on the right foot. Brilliant. So here we are at episode number one. Um, so I guess a good place to kick off this episode and, and the whole season one, I guess, is how we started and how we ended up doing our PhDs. Um, and so to give you a bit of a background into myself, so my name's Aaron O'Hannon. I, I did an engineering degree, actually, um, at Warwick University. So actually quite a relatively technical degree. Um, but I was always looking for something that was more in user research, more in design, something where I can work with people. Um, and so this was, the, the PhD really was this fantastic opportunity to do something different. Um, and so that, I guess the, the, the point was that the, the topic that I did the PhD in was not actually what I did my degree in. Um, and so it was something where I could really become an expert in something new. Uh, and I think, Julia, that's very much the same for you, right? Yeah, I think maybe even a bit more extreme, um, at least how it's far to me, because I did music in my undergrad, so I want to become um, a professional orchestra musician originally, and, but then decided to kind of change my path, and I went into um, management, I did that in my master's, and then um, basically after an internship, I think that was in a health-related um, industry, I decided that I'd really like to do um, health-related research and ended up somehow at work medical school doing a PhD in health sciences. But I think, yeah, um, so when I started my PhD, I felt like I was completely new to everything. The topic was new, the research was new. Um, so it felt quite, I felt quite overwhelmed at times. Yeah, I, th I think that's the... The, the main point is that really it's it's a it's a massively overwhelming uh, project really it's it's something where you are thrown into this massive uh, project where you are essentially responsible for your own work uh, and you have to sort of you have to sort of deliver and in our mm. cases as we said you know coming from very different backgrounds there is this kind of element of imposter syndrome so episode one we really wanted to give practical advice where we could say look if you do these five things, and I think in this case, we have picked five things, uh, five key recommendations that you can do from the very first day. Um, and even if you're you know, beyond that first day, that first month, even in the first year or second year, these are things that you can still be doing that will help you maintain that momentum, keep fresh and, and hopefully not feel lost in this whole process. Uh, so five things. And I think we should just get, get started on yeah. that actually. So uh, number one, is what we're calling a place for everything and everything in its place. So uh, this this may be a phrase that you've heard before, but actually um, there's also a German phrase, right, Julia, that, that sort of captures this essence. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm originally from Germany and there's a saying, um, Ordnung ist das halbe Leben, which basically means something like if you have order in your life, you've already made one half of it oh, i don't know how oh, would you translate it better yeah, it's, it's almost <laughs> so like makes sense. it's almost like bringing organization or order to your life is almost like half the effort of exactly life, right? exactly and i think to really facilitate that i think the first thing what um you should do when you start your phd 
is get yourself a reference manager. <laughs> Maybe we, I should explain um, what that is, but a reference program is kind of a software um, where you keep all of the articles and papers that you accumulate. So it's kind of a library and your go-to place um, for sources and references. And I think that really helps you to get like kind of started with getting organized. Yeah, I think it's one of those like essential first things that if, if you don't know what to do on that first day, uh, just go ahead and, and download a reference program. So, I mean, in, in terms of the ones that you can use, uh, there's a very good free one called Mendeley, which which we both use. Uh, but there's there's different paid solutions as well. The mm -hmm. point is, get one, get one that you that you like using and, and actually try a few. Right. Get, download a few and, and see which ones you like. I know there's a few of the paid ones are offered through mm. the universities. Right. Yeah. I think so. I think at Warwick, they, for example, um, support EndNote. That's quite a popular one. But yeah, I think it's not freely accessible if you don't have access to the university. But yeah, Mendeley, I think I'm really happy using that. Um, I tried a few other ones, but then you have to be careful. For example, I have to admit um, I'm a Mac user and I think you are a Mac user too. Yeah. And sometimes they're not as compatible, but I think Mendeley works really well on both programs. I know colleagues who use Microsoft and it works really well, I think. Yeah, and I think the the key point with all these kind of programs is it, it it really one it helps you straight away get into the habit of what you do when you get papers, right? I mean, a, a lot of this first year will be reading papers in your PhD, and it, it, it's you're going to have to have some way of keeping them all in one place. Now you could have a folder on your computer and, and save a bunch of PDFs, but this will keep track of all the author information. It will keep all that information up to date for you. Uh, and it will let you save all your annotations and your notes, all these things that, that would be incredibly cumbersome to do without one of these uh, you can do in these programs. And it all integrates with Word. So there's a real, real benefit to just getting one and, and sort of mastering how to use it. Yeah, because I think there's really nothing more frustrating than when you read a lot and you know you read something, read some kind of information that was really important to you and you know it was somewhere but you can't find the paper anymore because you just were reading stuff and not like um, really downloading the references immediately. So I think really get into the habit. If you read something and realize this might be really important for you, downloaded the citation straight away and have it in your reference program. Um, it will save you a lot of frustration. I think the, the other thing as well, the really nice thing compared to just adding references yourself is that you can just literally download the PDF and drag mm. it into Mendeley and it will populate all those fields like author and journal and year. It will do that all for you. So you don't have to sit there plugging in the right information. It will pull it all from the database, even the PDF itself. So it, it will save you a lot, a lot of time in, in the long run, for sure. Um, and I think that's the, I think the, the other good point is that you made is that when, when you read all this stuff, using one of these programs to keep track of the notes and the annotations, it, in a couple of months time, when you're perhaps looking back at your research, you'll be able to pinpoint exactly what you're reading when, you'll be able to search all these notes. So I think overall, it's one of those essential bits of uh, program technology for the PhD, really. Yeah, that's true. And I think my, my sister also did a PhD and she never used a reference program. And I honestly have no idea how she did it. I think it's just so much more time consuming, especially if you come to the end of your PhD, thinking of your thesis, which you will have to rent, uh, write at the end. Um, 
you have plenty of references and you don't want to do that manually. Um, so yeah, get started with that. Yeah, so tip number one, on your first day, or if it's not even your first day and you're into the PhD itself, get a reference manager. And we recommend Mendeley, but find one, start using it and learn how to use it. Tip number one. Okay, so uh, tip number two is what we're calling mastering the read-write cycle. Isn't that right, Julia? Yeah, so I think what we mean by that really is um, that it's, it's great, of course, to do a lot of reading, especially at the beginning of the PhD, but I think it's also um, equally important to get into the habit of writing. Um, so it, I think for me, that always helps me to structure my thoughts, to actually think like what have I read about what are the key points that I take from what I've read um, and so how I personally do it is um, that I pose myself some questions so what is for example the importance of the research what has research has been done in the field what are kind of the gaps um, so I kind of have like little subheadings or questions and then try to fill them with what I'm reading and I think that really um, helps you and at, at some point I mean you will have to show stuff to your supervisors and um, if you have done a lot of reading and suddenly you think oh I don't <laughs> I don't actually have a document where I have uh, like a small summary of everything that I think that's really handy um, to have. Yeah I think I think that's a really important point it, just from my own personal experience some people, I mean, some of you may have projects where the research question is really clearly defined and you know the sort of main questions in your field. In my case, it was very much like looking into a black hole. And, um, mm. you know, that, that, was, that was a real challenge because you, you're suddenly faced with this topic and there are thousands of questions. And I think just listing those questions out, like what's the most important finding in the field or uh, what are the key uh, things that are happening in the last couple of years, or what's the importance of this particular thing? So in my case, it was about autonomous vehicles. So my first question that I wrote down on that paper was, um, what's happening with autonomous fields? What's important about this kind of technology? Uh, mm -hmm. And so I think having those questions to direct what you're writing and reading. And the key thing is, as you say, when you read something, get it written down, like whether it's... And reference it. And, and reference <laughs> it as well. Get it into Mendeley. Um, but it, writing something down... It may not, it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal chapter, right? It could even be just bullet points, but just getting that stuff down, writing, getting your thought process out onto the paper is going to be so helpful later on. And honestly, the amount of times in my third and fourth year where I sort of look back mm -hmm. at stuff that I'd written in the first oh, yeah. year and I was like, whoa, like I'm, I'm like super glad that I wrote that down because because you can just lose these things and and often you'll find that as you write papers and things that you can actually just copy and paste stuff that you wrote um shouldn't copy and paste Aaron but <laughs> plagiarize yourself but yeah I think uh, yeah definitely you know what you mean for especially when it comes to writing the background for your thesis and um yeah that will definitely help if you have already in the first month used them basically to get some of the basic information which you'll definitely have to include in your thesis um if you get that done but I think you're also often drawing stuff not only writing but yeah. um drawing to get like an idea or summary of what you're doing right yeah that's right I mean it, it's really whatever works for you so I know you did a lot of stuff in word documents I mean I, I also wrote this stuff into word documents but I also drew diagrams I scribbled down notes on bits of pe bits of paper uh, so there's 
loads of different mm. ways you can do it. But the point thing, the, the main important thing is uh, master this read write cycle. Read something, get into the habit of writing about it, and mm. I think then you'll really set yourself up for the rest of the PhD. And I guess then you know when when you think about that, I mean the other key question will be like where do you go for this information, right? Yeah. And there are a whole bunch of sources, but I think there's a few that that we could recommend to get you started, or certainly ones that we use on a daily yeah. basis right yeah so i think um i i think i didn't really do that but i think looking back um i should have just um and first instant maybe contacted my supervisors um because i think most most people will have at least one supervisor that is in your field and um they will have already um a filled reference program with like loads of important um papers um in their area so i think you should use these sources your contacts to get started to fill your library ask your supervisors what do you think what are the key papers can you send them to me um, or ask colleagues if they're researching a similar field to you to really just speed up the process of you um, doing the search by your own and I think another thing that I didn't know is because um, um, I wasn't really <laughs> aware of what literature reviews and systematic reviews are um, but I think they're the best starting point to, to read stuff about because they already have done your job a little bit and that they bring together loads of important um, papers in your field and discuss them and summarize them. So I think start by entering whatever your topic is. For example, for me, it was pharmacy, um, pharmacy and uh, systematic review and something more specific about it and see what comes up and... Um, I think that will be my recommendation. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think just simply putting whatever your question is, plus the term literature review into Scholar or Science Direct or it is such an easy place to start. And, and don't be ashamed of using the references that other people have used. This was a technique that I've used countless times to get the key papers in the field. Uh, so literature reviews, super, super handy. Uh, there's just essentially people who have done a lot of the work for you and you just need to read that and, and put your own spin on it and, and sort of understand it in a, in a different way. So it's, mm. it's a fantastic starting point. So mm. start reading and writing, get mm. into that habit of, of getting into that cycle, use those sources, use your experts, use your supervisors to get those, uh, to get those sources and use literature reviews as well because mm. they've done the work, a lot of the work for you. Just one, yeah, just one thing that... Um... I just came to mind if you can't find any literature reviews in the field that could be a perfect gap for you to actually decide mm. to do your own literature review or systematic review and get that published um but i think yeah in a lot of fields there are already reviews but if not that can be a perfect research gap for you just as a side note as well yeah So uh, point number three is what we're calling feasibility ability, right? And this is all about setting those those first aims and objectives, what you're going to achieve, what you want to achieve in your doctorate. It's, it's going to be what's it's the thing that's going to be at the start of the thesis. Uh, it's going to set the scene for the, for the rest of the three or, or four years. Uh, so aims and objectives, Julia, you're the you're the expert with this kind of stuff. <laughs> Am I? What, what are aims but and objectives? Yeah, so how I understand, but I think maybe different research have different perspectives on that, but what worked for me and has been even accepted in publications and in my thesis is um, that your aim is like the overall thing. So 
think overall at the end of your PhD, what do you want to achieve? Um, so for example, I think in my PhD, it was around how um, to, or what the experiences of farmer staff and farmers users are with certain um, services. Um, so that can be, um, you kind of aim to understand it. And the objective is slightly more practical, basically, um, how you're going to achieve that aim. So for example, um, by, let's say, using an interview study to explore um, the experiences of farmers users and pharmacy staff, or by using a systematic review, bringing together what is known about experiences. So yeah, just a bit more practical stuff is in the objectives, and I think in the aim, that is more your overall kind of thing. That's how I would, would understand that. And, and the objectives are sort of what you're going to do. Yeah yeah. 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 And I think, you know, I guess the sort of an overall point with all of this is is to pick aims and objectives that you actually care about. Right. I mean, it's 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 your PhD. It's your, you're the one who has to you know, put that work in. Uh, and so making sure that it's something that you are genuinely sort of interested in finding out. You don't have to it doesn't have to be your absolute core passion, but at least on some level to be sort of curious about it and, and wanting to find out the answer. I think that's going to really set you up well. Um, and of course, another really important point, and I think this is one thing that I I didn't see that many people doing this, but journal, right? Write a journal, not in the academic sense, but actually in the more sort of diary sense in that keep a running log of your ideas and like how you develop them and how you changed your objective mm. why you went in a certain direction uh, it just in your own words and I, I did this quite regularly I just had a word document that I called journal uh, and this was literally just a running log of I decided to change this particular part of my project because and you'll be amazed how much this sort of stuff comes up in the kind of final stages with the viva and things like that and they're going to ask you, you know, why you did certain things. And if you have this running log, uh, you'll you'll be much more aware of what you did and, and why you did it. And it's amazing how much you can also forget uh, by the time you get to the end. So keeping this sort of running log, journaling yourself as you go, almost sort of like a diary is, is, mm. a, is a really important tip, I, I think. Yeah, that's true. I actually didn't really do that, I think, um, or not as much as I should have. And um, the question actually came up in my Viva um, that my examiners were asking, so how did your research questions and objectives um, kind of develop? And I wasn't really sure or because I, I hadn't thought about that because for me, the PhD started um, with having my question and my aim, but actually that was... Of course, that took a long time. That took six months until I had developed them. But I kind of forgot what this, the months that led to that. And um, and I think in the end, yeah, it was also just discussions with um, my funders, with my supervisors, so experts in the field and the literature, of course, that I reviewed that kind of led to the aims, aims and objectives in the end. That's right. And I think, you know, it's another really important point, you know, especially if you're at the start of the PhD is, don't worry if you don't have something set completely mm. in stone. You know, the, the reality of this kind of PhD work is that things are going to change. Uh, studies might not work out the way you expect them to. New research might become available that sort of need, that means that you have to change the objective that you're doing. And this happened to me. Uh, and, and certainly the aim was almost written in a kind of retrospective way. 
is the reality of doing this kind of work. So, you know, don't worry if you don't have something set in stone, but having that in mind, setting that in your head that you know roughly what you're doing and it's something you care about is is really important. I think that's going to and it's, it's going to set you on the right path. Uh, and I guess there's also this point, Julia, about sort of um, being realistic, I guess, sort of time, making something feasible, either sort of links into this feasibility ability sort of point. Mm. Yeah, feasible in the way that, first of all, that you either have the skills or that you acquire the skills to achieve your objectives. So, for example, for me, I didn't have any experience in <laughs> quantitative or qualitative um, research before I started my mm-hmm. PhD. Um, but so what I had to do was that I planned in time and also money, a budget for um, training. So I did, for example, an excellent course in um, Oxford on qualitative um, interviewing and analysis. And that gave me the skills, basically, and knowledge um, on that, that I knew, okay, I could achieve my objective of doing interviews because I had the knowledge then and feasible um in terms of time, again, I had no idea, for example, before I started my PhD, how much time do you need um, to plan in for recruitment for interviews? And I think when I was doing my first timelines, I <laughs> probably got it completely wrong. So I think, um, yeah, being really aware of um, whether you can um, achieve the objectives that you set yourself time wise and in terms of your skills is super important. Yeah. Absolutely. Completely agree with everything you said, Julia. Uh, so, but I guess the the sort of question then is uh, how, right? It's all very easy to say, like sort of set realistic mm-hmm. goals, be feasible, you know, make it realistic time-wise, don't overdo it. It's all very easy to say that, but how, how can we do that? And I guess that's what we're going to discuss in point number four. So tip number four, and we're calling this present early and present regularly, or in other words, present, 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 right? And and this is the idea that, you know, no matter what stage you're at, no matter if you're in that first couple of weeks or if you're year three, year four, it's really important to, to get your research presented to people. And there are loads of different opportunities to do this, but it's really important because this lets you, one, it lets you sort of internalize the sort of uh, objectives and aims that you're doing, even if you've only just done literature up to this point. It's so valuable to be able to, it forces you to sort of think in a way that that lets you translate what you found to the audience, right? That process of having to communicate it to someone else really helps you understand it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would 100% agree with that. And I think it can be in any kind of context. So it could be starting with just presenting it to a colleague, presenting it to your supervisors, to your funders, but then also in the research community at university. So I think Warwick had this really nice um, kind of format. I forgot the, the name of that. Can you um, remember the, the name of that? Research exchange or something? Research, or research cafe. Or something. Yeah. yeah, so it was a really supportive environment where like PhD students or research students just came together and had like three presentations in an evening in a really casual kind of setting. And I think... Um, yeah, I, I did it very early in the first like two months or something of my PhD. And I thought I have nothing to present. I haven't done any study. I haven't done anything, but I have done some reading on the topic. And I kind of was like um, kind of pitching some of the research ideas that I had. And I got so much helpful feedback from people and, and ideas. And I think that's the great thing at the beginning of your PhD. Um, you are still open to explore um, kind of 
research you could be doing and I think just use the resources around you um, to kind of brainstorm and yeah find your focus. That's right yeah and, and, and just to give you an example in my first presentation I also did the same thing where I presented at one of these student uh, research events where they were just looking for volunteers to present something and I was in I think the first three months of my doctorate and I literally just presented five slides which just talked about what's the problem with automated mm. vehicles and it was super super early days uh, it, I had no research on my own but honestly just just knowing that and, and the the amazing thing is if you if you really can present it in a way that's engaging with people that that you can translate that so that that, that any audience can understand your topic uh, it's it's also fantastic to see people react to it. Yeah. Uh, I think often, you know, a PhD can be a little bit siloed. You can be a little bit sort of on your own. And, and just the fact that you can get your research out there uh, and you can present it to people who might not know anything about it and who can pick up on the importance of what you're doing. Uh, I think that's really, that's really, really valuable. It certainly made me feel good about the topic. Uh, and I guess like the final point with all this is really to embrace the feedback, right? Mm. I mean, you're gonna there will be things that don't come across perfectly and you know it's the first time that you might be talking about this stuff ever right this could be the first time you're in this topic and so it's completely normal that the way you communicate it or the way you present it might not be optimal but that's fine you know you need to use that feedback because all of this stuff all of this feedback that you get from the presentation can all feed directly into how you present the thesis that story of the thesis can all be molded by these kind of presentations and I think for both of us that was the case right yeah yeah definitely and I think we talked um before about how you know whether your research is feasible um and I think by presenting it to people who have already maybe they're they're a bit further in their PhD or they use supervisors or whoever they are and they have a bit more experience if they start asking like this is you want to do all of that in your PhD in your three years if you feel that um people are kind of a bit concerned that you have taken um, on too much that could be a good indicator to think oh maybe I have to reduce or focus down more the kind of um, research or studies that you're going to conduct um, and it's better really every single um, criticism and I mean positive or negative criticism criticism can really help you and I think if you're afraid of presenting your ideas then <laughs> maybe that's already an indicator that you're worried that something might be wrong with that and but this is the time to get it out and to get to, to find out whether what you're doing is a good idea or not. Um, you don't want to present your research after one or two years and then find, oh, actually, loads of people think I should have done it differently. So this is really the time um, to, to, to get it right. Yeah, and I think, again, you know, whether it's early days or, as you say, even, I would say, even late in the day, it's, it's absolutely fine to present and to get the feedback because in the end, it's better that that stuff comes out mm, at any yeah. point before the viva, true, right? Yeah. At any point before you submit, yeah. um, even if it's a week before, it's still, it's still going to be a positive thing. Mm. So we have got one final recommendation for this episode uh, and it's point number five. So point number five. So here we are at the end of the first episode with our final tip uh, for this inaugural episode. And it's one that we're calling uh, a PhD is not just for Christmas, right? It's, um, I, yeah, maybe not the best title. The point with this is really that a PhD is more than just 
the PhD, right? It's more than just a research degree. It is a very unique time in your life where you are managing yourself, uh, you are managing a project that you are largely directing, uh, that you're largely in charge of the things that, that you are deciding to do. Uh, and you're also based at a university, right? And I think with that, of course, at the time, because as a result of all this, you know, it's 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 an incredibly challenging thing to do. Uh, but at the same time, it's an incredibly unique time in your life. And I think the point we want to say with this is really to enjoy this special time, get involved in other things, in societies. Uh, and this is something that we both um, really try to embrace during our PhD. Yeah, so I think um, really it, it, when you plan, it goes back to when you plan your research, I think it should not be planned in a way that you will spend um, like morning to evening every single day um writing or working on a phd and i think these people do exist really just do their phd full on all the time but i think then you miss out on a lot of other important things and um especially you, you might not want to stay in research after your phd you want to do something else and then it's really i think important also to um show on your cv what other things you have done um, and that could be like just joining some societies do something sign up for whatever you enjoy doing i did dance for example in my first year and which i really enjoyed and um, then you get some energy from that as well for your phd i think because there will you will need a break from it and i also organized some seminars at the medical school and all of that like um, was really helping me later um, when I was applying for for jobs, um, but also connecting me with a lot of people in the medical school, and so I think every every minute you invest on doing something about engaging with the community will will give you something back in the long term. And so I think roughly, um, I would say like spend maximum four to four and a half days on your PhD work, and half half a day that you reserve for for time to do other things. Um, um, that will be, I think, my kind of. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think it's good to have that sort of uh, that sort of schedule and structure. Of course, you know, there may be times that you have to work a weekend, you know, that, that just the, the nature of perhaps you're doing some data collection. I think it's OK to be OK with that, you mm. know, as well. But also just recognizing, listen to yourself. Yeah, right. I mean, just listen point. to your body. Um, mm. If you feel like you need a break, take yeah. a break. Right. It's it. nothing's worth burning yourself out and, and not enjoying the time that you have on the PhD. And so me personally, I, I had a rule that I, I just didn't do weekends, just flat out. Um, mm. There were one or two weekends that I had to work, but I always sort of set that, you know, whatever happens, I will try and do what I do during the week. Mm. Um, and I think you were a bit more flexible. Didn't yeah I think but I reduced it so at the beginning I think I was working more on the weekends I felt so behind as I said at the beginning because everything was new I felt like I have to make up for the time that I have not yeah. been in research um, and also I think um, yeah actually I had in my undergrads this light bulb moment um, when so I did music and I was um, studying the clarinet and of course as a musician you have to do a lot of practice but somehow in my head I thought if I start, don't start practicing very early in the morning, then I thought the day could not be productive anymore. It was a really weird thinking. And just it needed um, someone, like a colleague, to just point that out, saying, like, you know that if you start in the afternoon and just do two hours, that can be more productive than just starting early in the morning for the sake of starting in the morning. So I think, yeah, just um, feel, look how your body is feeling, what, what you need, and then... Um, 
rather work like two hours like effectively than just sitting on your desk and I think it can sometimes be quite difficult especially if you see a lot of colleagues around you are working on, on the weekends and you feel you also should should be doing that but you don't every single person is different and you have to find what's healthy and productive for, for you so I think yeah don't I think that's a big point anyway don't compare yourself with others and everybody who starts a, a PhD is a completely different stage for example my friend she had been working as a research assistant for a long time at the university and of course she was fully in the topic already when she started and um, was much faster in get getting started with her actually studies and I always felt behind but um, it's nothing wrong with that everybody just um, starts at a different place and that's what the PhD is therefore and in the end you will all get <laughs> the same qualification yeah that's no, that that's exactly it mm. and I think you know just take a minute to appreciate the fact that you're doing this thing, right? This is the highest level of academic um, achievement or degree that you can possibly do, right? Mm -hmm. It is going to be challenging, you know that, but just enjoy the fact that you've made it to this stage, that you're doing it, right? I mean, I think just doing it is also an achievement in itself before you even get to the end, before you even get to the viva. So enjoy, appreciate yourself, uh, listen to your body and don't compare yourself to others and really enjoy this special PhD time. So that's episode one of How To PhD, <laughs> the inaugural episode of the first season um, of the show. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Really appreciate you pioneer listeners to our brand new show please do get in touch with us. We have an email. You can get in touch with us at contact at howtophd.show. We also have Twitter and Instagram handles where you'll also find graphical summaries of all of the stuff that we talk about. So a bit more, look, perhaps something that you can save or perhaps you can save to your camera roll or to your Instagram or Twitter account, graphical summaries. And you can find this at our Twitter or Instagram handle, which is at how to PhD show. Uh, you can also find written show notes and links to all the stuff that we talked about. So we mentioned a few reference programs uh, and we've also got some additional links to some of the some of the ideas and thoughts that we touched on, which you can find at www.howtophd.com show and our final request is to leave a review on podcasts or apple podcasts or spotify or whatever platform that you are listening this to leave us a review it's super helpful it helps other people find the show uh, and of course it lets us know that we're doing something that's uh, that's that we're doing something right um in the next episode julia we're going to be touching on something fairly important right yeah, so next episode is all about how to manage your supervisor and how to effectively work with your supervisor. So I think that's quite a quite an important topic. Yeah, this is this is a big one. So we can't wait to see you in episode two. Take care and we'll see you all next time.